January 26, 2016. After our incredible conversation with Courageous Fire regarding the effects of non-physical domestic abuse and violence, which you can find on facingtomorrow.org, we were amazed at both the similarities and differences in the experience of our latest guest. Bashar Klesars. According to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, domestic abuse, otherwise known as intimate partner violence, domestic violence, or relationship abuse, is defined as a pattern of behaviors used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner in an intimate relationship. There was a buildup before that date. That was like the, the moment. But the three months before, I had dated somebody briefly uh, for about 30 days. And at the end of the 30 days, I went to break up with him and didn't want to see him anymore. And he had made some threats that he was going to ruin me and put me out of business. And I wasn't really sure what that meant because I didn't do anything that would cause any of that to happen. And so I I didn't take his threats as threats at the time. I just kind of discarded them and thought, what kind of chaos can this person create in my life? As we hear from Shar, it is astounding to learn the lengths to which her partner attempted to exert control and power over her. And over the next 60 days, he created a lot of chaos in my life. And at the time, uh, (laughs) at the time, I thought I could handle it. In hindsight, I would have done a lot of things differently now. But at the time, he broke into my house, sliced tires in my car. I ended up getting a no contact order against him. He, he was arrested at my house, and 12 hours after he was arrested at my house, he went down and filed false reports in a neighboring city. And even then, because he was sending me pictures, at, at first it started that morning that I wasn't answering his phone calls. He had called 50, 60 times overnight from the jail, had left messages, and I was ignoring it. Then he was sending me text messages, and I was ignoring it. And then he went on social media and had created some fake profiles and was slandering some of the networking events I'd gone to. And I was going around him and going to the page administrators who were deleting his comments. And then he started sending me selfies in front of the police department. And I still didn't really understand what he was doing yet. And it it took about a month from that moment when he went down there and created that before I got a phone call on September 26th, and that was from a detective at the neighboring city saying that there was a warrant for my arrest. And I remember, because he had always threatened that, and I remember thinking, he didn't tell me exactly how he was going to do it, but he said I would be all over the news and that he would make sure that I was put out of business. And in the back of my mind, I dismissed it, but I would still think about God, that would be really bad. That would be horrible. And I just didn't have any idea of the level of evil that some people will go to in their in their quest for trying to hurt you. And so when I got this phone call from this detective, when there is a warrant issued for you, I've never been in trouble ever. So I, I'm not familiar with, even when I got the phone call to go turn myself in, I, I didn't know where you go. And I asked, is this where... I bring an attorney to go with me. Is this where we come and talk? And they were like, no, this is where you go and turn yourself in to the, to the jail. (sighs) And, um, I, I remember knowing then that this is going to be big and it's going to be bad because he had threatened it. And I didn't know, I still didn't really even know what this was all about. 
and how it all started yet, but I knew I had to go turn myself in. So I spent the rest of the day figuring out what that looks like. Like I had called a girlfriend who was an attorney and asked directions on what do I do and how does this work? And I first, I wanted to not do it because this didn't make any sense. Why, when I have the no contact order, why, when this person was arrested at my house and 12 hours later went down, why isn't anybody seeing what this is? And my no contact order, I specifically say he's going to have me all over the news. He's, he's threatening to put me out of business. And what I didn't understand uh, when I met this person, he didn't tell me his real name. And so being a business owner, being somebody who hires employees, I do background checks. I'm not a very easy woman to trick. But when somebody wants to trick you, they're going to trick you. And he didn't give me his real name. And once I found out his real name, I found out he was a convicted felon in two states. He's done this to another woman. So he got better at how to do it. And so when I went to go turn myself in, my attorney had advised me to go early the next morning. And I was in the parking lot of the jail. And I was praying and just asking why is this happening? Why, what is going on here? And I was anchored pretty solidly going in where I knew there has to be a lot more good coming from this than any bad because it wasn't right. It wasn't truth. I had already received phone calls that I was on the news from the night before. Um, the allegations he had made was that I had sent nude photos of myself to his son. And, and in all reality, what had happened was at that 30-day mark when I had broke up with him, he actually had sent photos of me sleeping at his home to my children, including my minor daughter. And so he took his reality and kind of twisted it around, and that is what made them issue a warrant. So I went in to turn myself in and just knew I'm not driving this experience. This is just me. I'm going to go through this and experience it and pay attention to the gaps. It's almost like turning the wheel over and not when you're not having to worry about driving, you can look out the window and you can take in a lot more of the landscape. And I was able to surrender to what this is going to be. I had no idea how long this was going to last. I had no idea because it, did, it didn't stop. It did not stop from that point on. Once I turned myself in, I was in um, jail for about 10 hours before I was able to get out. And once I got out, it was all over the media. It was all over the front page of the Des Moines Register. It was the top story for three days in a row. And when I came home, my daughter was in her senior year of high school, and she was 10th in her class. She was captain of the varsity football cheerleading team. You don't get a kid who's that good without having a mom that's pretty involved. And she couldn't come home for about 10 days. We got her back home. He didn't stop ever. He spread it. It went viral. It was on Perez Hilton. It went worldwide. It was everywhere. still is. If you Google my name, Charlotte Claceris, you'll see the articles are still out there. I was running a place at that time and when police weren't stopping his attacks. And when I was, every step of the way, I was letting him know this is domestic violence. This is not truth. I have a no contact order against this person. He had made claims against me that were based in me sending nude photos to his son. So with it being a minor, all of their information was held confidential and no names were released. And so it was hard for people to make the connections to see that I had a no contact order and 
everybody really, it was a very hostile environment and there was no help. And at the uh, one week mark, I decided to go buy a townhome because I needed security. I couldn't sleep knowing my daughter was going to come back home. I wanted to get us safe. And I bought my townhome and I put it in my LLC's name. My thinking was so he couldn't find me because he is very good at finding people. And he found me. He keyed the car in the driveway to let me know that he found me. He never stopped. He never stopped coming after me. He never stopped harassing. When I was in jail, I'm a real estate agent. When I was in jail for those 10 hours, my broker threw my license back to the state. The chaos <laughs> that had happened, my broker threw my license back and my broker knew what was going on. This guy had stalked me. And so when I had got out and my, I'm out of business, threw my license back, my daughter can't come home, I'm completely home alone. And it just kept spreading and getting bigger. And there was another brokerage that went and got my license for me. And he started assaulting their business page. And every customer review for the last two years, they he went through and sent the news articles that were all over the media to all of them. And then I was worried in the back of my mind, this broker's going to want to have nothing to do with me because of the chaos. And where I had office space, he called the management company because there was a children's learning center downstairs. They made me close my office. I mean, it didn't stop. It was constant. To this day, it still happens. He still has never stopped. He will never stop. That's just how those people are wired. But in the immediate, the first 90 days, it was very, very, very constant. Sadly, as Shar has learned from over 100 Jane Goes she's worked with, her story is not uncommon. When you go through something in the justice system, it takes a lot longer to work through it. I had thought from the beginning that this would go away as quick as it came on because it was just not true. <laughs> I was very hopeful thinking. I think I very much anchored with Jonah in the belly of the whale. I was really hoping for a three-day finish, <laughs> and that didn't work. And then I went on to Noah, and I was on that ark with Noah. And after day 41, Noah was a little bit of a wimp, and I went on to the next story and the next story. And around the 90-day mark, I went to court. And at this point, I still didn't have a aggressive attorney. I had just been using friends because I really had thought that the truth would set you free. And I, I had proof of it all. And so this was just a misunderstanding. And that once all the cards were put on the table, charges would be dismissed and this would get cleaned up. And I learned that isn't what happens. At the 90-day mark, I went into court and the DA had offered me a plea deal. And it was a nice plea deal if you did what I was accused of doing, but I didn't do what I was accused of doing. And and the other side caveat was, I it doesn't clean your name. A plea deal does not clear your name. And so I had said, thank you, but no thank you. I'm not going to take the plea deal. And they upped their threat and said, if you don't take this plea deal and you move forward and we find you guilty, you're going to be on the sex offender registry. And when I was in court that day, my 23-year-old daughter was with me and my broker was with me and they were both just telling me to take the plea deal and just take the plea deal, take the plea deal. And I said, I need to go home and be alone for a little bit, meditate, clear out everything that had been going on in the chaos of those moments. And when I got quiet with God, he said, why are you doubting me? And I, I had a coming to Jesus talk with God. <laughs> That's always interesting. 
And I asked him what he wanted me to do. And he said, this will do more good than any harm. And then he said, hire an attorney. (laughs) So in that moment, we don't choose what we go through. We choose how we're going through it. And to be consciously aware of how powerful that is, to pull yourself out of the chaos and pull yourself out of experience something so emotional and almost detach from what you're going through is what happened. And, and in that moment, I came up with the idea of I'm going to create a foundation. I took my business name, the Shar Claceris Real Estate Team. So it's C-K-R-E-T. It spells the word secret. How fitting is that? Okay. I think that's like that road marker that lets you know you're right on the right path. Because I didn't help people see it and they'll try to give me credit. And that's not me. I don't, I don't really care who they, if they call it God, energy, universe, I really don't care. There's just something bigger that if we surrender to it, will lead us in the right direction. And then uh, I created the logo and then I hired an attorney <laughs> the next day. We're so thankful that Shar has been willing to share her story of overcoming non-physical domestic violence, her experiences with seeking help, the journey she has been on as a mother, and to provide hope and light to those experiencing the same. Going into the new year, I had a blessed, blessed attorney who I had so much information that she had to weed through and really make sense of it. I had thought when we go into the criminal justice system that the logic on that side of our system is very similar to the civil side of our system, and it's not. It's it's completely different. And so there's truly a strategy, and you need to hire somebody who understands and is well-versed in that. And so I hired my advocate, and charges were dismissed at day 200, and it was Good Friday. I would love to say that was the end of the story, but it's not. It was the beginning of the next chapter, and it has only gotten a lot bigger and more beautiful every day since. I knew from the beginning, I had been a single mom for many years struggling, working two or three jobs, and it was only when I got into real estate that I really got my head above water and I could save some money. And so I knew when I was at a position that I could go hire an attorney. That was something that before I had jumped into real estate, I would not have had that option. I would have had to take a plea deal because I didn't have money. It wasn't that The truth set me free because I told the truth from the beginning. Inevitably, in the end, it was because I had money and I could go hire an attorney. And so I knew that I needed to go back and help other women who found themselves on the other side of the justice system because all of the normal resources that are supposed to be there to help a domestic violence victim when they're leaving were not available to me because I had pending charges. So nobody would help me. I do have um, on YouTube, I do have... My story, when I was going through the 200 days, I started videotaping from before I went into the jail. And every single day, I have 100 videos of the 200 days. And at the time, I was recording it because I thought I was going to be recording my, my death. Nobody was helping protect me. Nobody was listening to me. And at least through videotaping what was going on, someone would be able to go back and watch these videos. And now it's called... Um, 200 days, the Jango epidemic. And so if somebody, they're pretty emotional. There's some really, really, really raw footage in all of those videos of what it was like to go through that in the constant, about four months in, I, I was suffering from post-traumatic stress because it just, he was not letting up. And so letting people know that they're not, letting women and men know that they're not alone and that 
when you're going through something like this, day 21 was a very, very challenging day because I wanted to quit. And there's a video of me just a mess wanting to quit because I had thought that this would stop or end as quick as it came on and it just kept going. And so when I got charges dismissed, got my business back up, started getting income in um, after 200 days, I started looking and letting people know I want to find those women. And I started telling their story on social media and I hashtag them Jane Goes because we want them to go before they become a Jane Doe statistic. Shar courageously uses her story and her walk to positively support and impact women through the Secret Foundation. It is with this foundation that she is working to empower other women as they walk their journey as victims of domestic violence. As a mirror to the plight of many Jane Goes supported by Secret, including the story shared by Shar about this Jane Goes name was Connie. The organization Wider Opportunities for Women shares startling statistics regarding the economic repercussions of intimate partner violence. Key observations include more than 8 in 10 survivors saying their abusers interfered with their ability to get and or keep a job. Two-thirds reported their abusive partners blocked them from finishing their education or training by, among other tactics, denying access to money for school, monitoring and controlling their mobility, and or using physical or sexual violence and threats. Connie was 62 years old. She was married for 17 years, 15 years, heavy abuse. And she had no friends or family around her. That's part of the abuse cycle, the isolation. Her friends and family were her coworkers. And she didn't come to work for 10 days in uh, December of 2017. And during those 10 days, it was her 62nd birthday and it was Christmas. And because she wasn't coming in and no one was calling in for her, her coworkers are now getting pretty worried because they know that she gets beat up a lot. So they start calling around to the police departments thinking that she's dead, actually. And that's when they found out that she had gotten arrested. She was in jail. So they were really happy that she was just in jail. And they go to bail her out. And when they go to bail her out, they found out that this last time she got in an argument with her husband, he's beating her up. He had learned that if when the police get there, he says she hit him, she would get arrested. And that's exactly what happened. So they arrested her. When she got out of jail... Because there's pending charges, there's a no-contact order that's put into place, so she can't go home. And because she has pending domestic charges, she can't go to any women's shelter. And so I found her at the homeless shelter downtown, sleeping in a chair. And I brought her into my home. And it takes about two months to help somebody navigate this chaos moment. I have two extra bedrooms in my house that have beds in them. didn't cost me anything to have a body sleep in it. And she's safe. And she slept for the first five days solid. And then we started, we got her her job back because she hadn't called into work. She she had been terminated. We got her her job back. We got her an apartment. We got her resources and um, furniture and stuff for it. And during the course of her walk, she took a plea deal because she just wanted it over. Plea deal to a misdemeanor. Everybody minimizes it. Six months probation, two years, it's off your record. And it sounds fine. It would be great if the story ended there. And this study concludes by saying that the survey found the service gap extended to economic aid. Six in ten respondents reported receiving some guidance in addressing financial problems caused by their abuser, but just 13% said that they obtained all the help they needed. And this is where the Secret Foundation is attempting to bridge that gap. But this is a situation that happens with Connie. When you took a play deal, her husband gets a five-year criminal no-contact order against her. 
We know that Stockholm Syndrome is very, very common in domestic abuse victims. That's why they go back. They continue to go back. In the summer of 2018, Connie went back to her husband. And everything was fine and dandy until the summer of 2019, where he's beating her up again and the police get called and Connie goes to jail. So we've given her husband a hall pass to beat her because she violated the no contact order and went back. She's the one that went to jail. And so finding these women and finding them walking through the system and just telling their stories and bringing awareness to the needed changes, no one in the justice system intended for my walk to be what my walk was. No one intends for Connie's walk to be what Connie's walk is. And, and since then, I've helped about 100 Jangos one way or another. All of them, every single last one, has taken a plea deal for something they didn't do. There's not one that has walked the walk that I was blessed not to walk with. For one reason or another, they don't have money or they just don't have the wherewithal to weather the storm because 200 days is a very long time when every single day you don't know how the outcome's going to be. And you just buckle. They just buckle to it. So my foundation's entire goal is just to bring awareness, funding, and change to domestic violence and the stories surrounding them, but in a way that is neutral, not finger-pointy, and that will, we all have the same aspect. We have different perspectives in the process, but we, we have the same aspect of wanting to protect. And, and we have to be able to communicate with each other, everyone involved in the system, be it the, the court systems, the frontline police, the shelters. And right now what's going on is everybody is just fighting, it seems, and nobody's really communicating. The, the analogy I always use is if I drew a big number six on the ground and I stand apart from you, I you see a six, but I see a nine. And who's right? We're both right. And, and if I can get everybody just to agree that it's a number, we now have a place to start. How could people learn more about the Secret Foundation? We have a Facebook page, and so find us on Facebook. It's C-K-R-E-T, so you have to know how to spell it. And I've got a lot more since then. Uh, Secret Foundation is a 5013C. We have a board. We have everything that continues to grow. And this year in 2020, I'm doing a lot more visual speaking and getting a lot more attention. There was a lot of behind-the-scene root work and organization that had to happen before you, I could go out the door. And I'm also helping all of these women in the meantime. So finding us on social media, people can find us on Facebook page, there's a YouTube channel, or just finding me. If somebody needs resources, reach out to the Secret Foundation. And what we're acting as is a, is a triage. A lot of what's going on in domestic violence is they melting pot them. All There's six different types of abuse, and they put them all in the same bucket. And within the domestic violence community, there's a secondary trauma or a discard that happens when we put somebody who might be emotionally abused in a room with somebody who is physically abused, and they compare notes. And, and then, because that's what happened with me, was I was put in contact with um, a nonprofit that was founded in physical abuse. And so when I would come into community with them, they would say, yeah, but he never really touched you. And it would make me, it was almost a very shameful, it wasn't, worthy of needing any help, I guess. And I've always thought if you drowned in two inches of water or 20 feet of water, you're still drowned. Abuse is abuse. And so getting that middleman in there so that uh, survivors don't have to experience that discard, everybody is doing the best they can, but in the best it, it can be done. It can always be done better. So having people 
come to the Secret Foundation, we'll help triage them. When you go to the hospital, you're not put in the same room with an OB and a cardiac patient. They triage you based on damage. And so the same thing needs to happen when we're talking about emotional symptoms. Thank you for sharing that. So Secret Foundation is a 501c3. We encourage people to reach out through Facebook. The uh, videos that you had mentioned are, yes, they're very raw, but they are truly you. And I uh, remember seeing the uh, the anniversary recording that you did. And it, it is really, so listeners, please uh, please know that it's it's truly raw, but it is something that I think people need to see. But can you share a little bit more about why you felt it was so important on the anniversary to share that that very raw video? Yes. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. I'm going to be 50 this year. And what a lot of people don't know is from my beginning, when my mother was pregnant with me, I'm going to share something that's going to sound very upsetting to a lot of people, but you need to know I don't remember this. When my mom was pregnant with me, she shot me inside of her. And that's what brought me into this world. And I was given back to her. And my mom got very good at manipulating the system. That was my reality growing up. And now I'm very appreciative of the entire walk because there was a lot of grit that I had to learn. And I got a very intimate relationship with God because of all of that growing up that helped me in my adult life. But it's not changing. And me being 50, I I want to stop the insanity. And there's no one better than somebody who's been there who's walked it, lived it, survived it, thrived through it, to be able to go back and speak the common language to everybody to let them know the changes that are needed and how they need implemented. If I had a heart attack and I went to my mechanic, he's going to do the best he can to help me. But in the course of him helping me, he's going to create residual damage. He's going to break a rib, something. He doesn't know what he's doing. But when I go to the hospital, when we go to the right place, we see immediate improvements. The insanity that's going on in the justice system with domestic violence is that 50-year pattern of not, we're going to the wrong place to fix this. Domestic violence is a social issue. It isn't criminal. There are criminal aspects to it. But I'm going to use an easier example that most people will be able to understand. Alcoholism is a social issue. It's not criminal. There are criminal aspects to it. Would you take your alcoholic friend to the police department to fix him? Where do we take our domestic violence victims? Do you see the insanity of it? Everybody's doing the best they can, just like my mechanic, but we're not going to the right place to fix it. There are resources outside of the justice system, just like an alcoholic, we have AA, Al-Anon, inpatient services, that we see long-term change and, and a very positive trend when we go to the right place. Right now with the justice system, how they've got it situated is we're a little bit bamboozled because they get you to think that it's not you, it's them and we'll lock them up. And then you go find another them with a different name and they lock them up. And then you go find another them with a different name and they lock them up. And now the domestic violence victim themselves becomes the biggest employer of the justice system. And nobody consciously intends for this to happen. It's just how the machine is wired. And so having lived through it, having 50 years of experience in this, It's just time to bring change. There's a different way to do it. And so in the coming years, probably about two more years, I have another foundation coming called SODA. SODA stands for Survivors of Domestic Abuse. Hurt people hurt people. Abuse people abuse people. And so there is no, there's no environment right now where even an abuser can go in a nice neutral area and learn different tactics outside of the justice system. We lock them up and detach them from emotions and accountability, if you will. And so being able to come to uh, SODA, it's going to act like that AA. 
where we'll help triage, but until we can bring awareness to the need for change, SORTA can't do anything yet. And so in about, I want to say in about two years, we should see that the Secret Foundation will always stay neutral in that we're just bringing awareness to the stories. That's it. And that's why they have to be separate. Uh, there's a lot more involvement on, on the SORTA Foundation. But So did you feel that, that, that the first raw video in the, on the anniversary was really a, a kickoff for people to uh, understand how real this is and understand how much the change needs to happen. Absolutely. Domestic violence impacts everyone. It may not directly impact you, but you know somebody. This is one thing that impacts every single person. And so bringing awareness and, and making it not a secret anymore, not something that we ignore or if you know if you had appendicitis and you ignore it it festers and it gets worse and that's what's going on with domestic violence is it's not getting any better let's make it an open conversation an easy conversation where people can go and find community and and find healing during the first 200 days i'm just curious were you was there at least one organization person connection that, that you felt truly did help you, give you great advice, or guide you in the right direction? Yes, there were firemen. I, I want to say there were firemen there that came in and helped rescue me. It was not necessarily an organization, and that's what secret is bridging the gap to become. I had pending domestic charges against me, and so it was one of those areas that I don't believe the people in the system even realized there's a gap here. There's a really big gap here that people are falling into. And so I was reaching out and finding community. I was very involved with, I was very consciously aware going in that my thoughts are creating this reality. And so making sure when I would get a little out of emotion, it's kind of like a balancing scale. When I get pretty emotional, I need to go seek uh, logic or knowledge and would always find a way to balance that out. And from there, I had reached out to many, many nonprofits, the Iowa Coalition Against Domestic Abuse, the ACLU, actually, on learning just different perspectives. But there wasn't just one that I was able to go to and find all of it. I'm always curious on how, from a mother's perspective, you were able to hold your children, shadow your children from some of the pain that you were experiencing. You mentioned that your children were, were older at this point, and there were things that they were going through. But how, how were you able to really hold her or shield them from some of the experiences that you were, you were experiencing? I always remembered that I had the example of what you didn't do. And since my kids were very young, I always remember sh- sharing with them that they're raising a mom as much as I'm raising them. I've never done this before. And that I was always open to conversations or different ways to do things. In the end, there were still some things I wasn't able to protect them. Their mom's all over the news. My daughter was in her senior year of high school in a small little town. So there were some things I wasn't able to protect them. And that becomes part of their emotional strength, strengthening in their life experience. It was a beautiful process to watch because I had a child at ISU and one at Iowa. And their sister was in her senior year. And it was beautiful to watch that between the two of them, they always made sure somebody came home and went to one of her games and sent me pictures and just letting them sit back and watch them step up and for them to protect each other and knew that they're going to do they're going to do fine. 
I think the root work for that was many, many years before all of that. Conversations with your friends, your your core group of friends, those that uh, the Jane goes that you're working with, do you see that there's ever any change in their response to you or any feelings of an elephant in the room in discussions with you? Anything like that at all? Once charges were dismissed and my business started coming back, I found that I would be irritated maybe by somebody who didn't show up the way I thought they needed to. And so again, I got quiet with God and I asked God to soften this because I, it was making me sick. It would really make me sick. And I don't, I'm not one that would be very mean, like, hey, where were you? But in my mind, I was thinking that. And so when I got quiet and I had the understanding that if I had a house party and I had a hundred people over and my house caught on fire, I don't get mad at people for running outside. My life caught on fire. And that just like if our houses catch on fire and there's a truck full of people who've spent many years preparing for your worst moment called firemen, I had firemen that came into my life. And just like when my house, if it were to burn down and you rebuild it, you have a housewarming party. And now what I know is I have a lot more clarity of what that looks like. It's not in my house anymore. It's on the lawn. And the firemen all have keys to my house. They don't have to ask. So I am a lot smarter. I'm a lot different. When people come back around, I'm a lot more uh, at peace with whatever issue they have or might think or say has nothing to do with me because most of them don't know the real story. They know what was on the news or what was on. And, and in that, in their own walk, that might trigger something that happened to them. And so that has nothing to do with me. And just allowing that if somebody wants to have a conversation, I'm here to have a conversation. Otherwise, I'm just busy walking my walk and being the change. And I think that action, I don't think, I know that actions speak louder than any words, even when they're on the front page of a newspaper or when you're all over the top news and and it goes viral and you're all over the world news. That in the immediate moment, I heard this quote once that lies have speed, but truth has endurance. And so here it is in the second year and the third year, my march isn't getting any quieter. It's only getting louder. And the community that I'm creating of these Jane Goes, because when we go through trauma, being able to speak to somebody else who's experienced similar trauma is almost like being in a foreign country and you don't understand any of the words going on until you find that one person who speaks the same language and and they get you. And sitting back and watching I just had one of my Jangos I had helped a couple years ago. Um, she just bought her first home on her, on her own. And watching them launch into their definition of success or happiness is very purpose-filled for me. From, from the beginning in my videos on YouTube, especially that day 21 video halfway through, I was really losing it. And I remember snapping. You can When you watch it, you'll see I kind of snap out of it. I looked right into the camera and said... I don't know who you are that this is going to help, but you need to know the idea of being able to help you is what's getting me through this moment right now. And so being able to see all of the beautiful ripples of good change that's happening validates all of it then. And I, even in the bad, I was right where I'm needed and doing it exactly the way it's supposed to unfold. If there is someone, and I, I want to I want to give you that chance to look in the camera again, right? Except we're going through the microphone here. If there is a, a, a woman out there right now, a man out there right now that is, is going through the experience that you are on day one of your journey, what would you say to them? 
You are so loved. You have so much purpose and you're not alone. You don't have to do this alone. I remember looking down. I was so sad and I remember looking down and I'm looking down, I'm looking at my belly button and I thought how ironic that as long as you have a belly button, you were designed to have a connection from your beginning. It was life feeding. And why is it in these moments, these dark moments that we, we feel that we have to do it alone when we weren't designed that way? from our beginning. And so knowing that you're not alone, to reach out. It's how you reach out that determines what type of help is going to come. So don't necessarily reach out swinging, right? Because what you throw under the world comes back. But reach out. Reach out to somebody who might have a similar situation or somebody that you have a lot of trust. I would be very cautious in just screaming, I need help to anyone because that can also draw predators to you. In those moments, I always say the the puma would much rather eat the injured gazelle than have to chase after the healthy gazelle. And so being very being very aware of how you reach out, but reaching out and not doing it alone is most important because once once you're in community with other people who've been there, they can help you navigate it. And in hindsight, had I known what I know now from day one, if I will say on day one, if you find you're in the criminal justice system, you need to go hire a very good attorney because you're going into an arena that you need a gladiator. And if you don't have your gladiator, you have no representation. So reach out, reach out to other people who are doing it in a way that connects with you. We are so thankful that Shar has been willing to share her story, to share her resources, to share her knowledge, and for all the work she is doing to support Jane Goes out there. Please go to facingtomorrow.org for additional resources, support, and to find ways to be able to connect to the Secret Foundation. Here you'll also find resources, stories, and podcasts on many other topics. Please consider subscribing wherever you are listening to this podcast. Participate in the conversation. Include resources of your own that have helped you in your walk. And most importantly, always remember, you are loved, you are needed, you are appreciated, and you should never feel like you have to walk alone. Thank you for listening. To stay up to date on the latest from Facing Tomorrow, and for additional information and resources about this topic and more, go to facingtomorrow.org.